Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Good evening and welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, Southland Hardcore. I'm Jack McEnroy, Stephen Walsh. Hello. Oh, Stephen, Steve Walsh. <laughs> I'm using your stage name. No. <laughs> Today, Steve, what are we going to be talking about? Musical and variety in Southland. Wait, don't turn off. <laughs> <laughs> now, we've had some big numbers lately, Steve, on the podcast. Uh, and like, you're worried this is going to completely derail that. Is it going to? I don't think it is. No, because you, you know why. Because... One, once I turn this microphone around onto you, Steve, I'm sure you're going to do some magic, aren't you? You're going to bring us, take us back there, aren't you? To the, you know, South London in the uh, 19th and 20th century. Grease paint and stage lights mm. and, you know. Break a leg. <laughs> we'll also be looking at variety today, in a way, um, with a trip we took to uh, Peckham to see a variety show um, to raise money for a play that's going to be going on uh, late this week. You say we, Steve, but I didn't go. <laughs> I it's the, it's I the very busy. I mean, yeah, in the interviews that are coming up later, we, you spoke to some of the performers. Yeah, the organisers, the performers, and some of the people that went to see the show as well. As you know, Steve, I'm always trying to make money out of this podcast, right? And I've <laughs> never succeeded. <laughs> in fact, uh, we're deeply... Uh, in debt because it's costing it costs yeah, us money you it know, does, as people yeah. well know <laughs> it's documented isn't it I mean I've, um, we've tried different ways yeah sponsorship people rarely sponsor the show and it's you know sponsor the show man if you know a restaurant that's like yeah we should get get on this you know it's very very cheap man give us a couple of meals and we'll plug the show and foul, literally thousands of people will hear it you <laughs> won't believe the you know how great it will work out for you yeah, Steve, you're laughing, but isn't it true? I'm laughing because I just like this is why I like this. Feels to me like um, it's almost like the musical episode started already. You're like a patter man standing outside the halls. <laughs> uh, you know, come on, ladies yeah, and gentlemen. Exactly, roll up. Yeah, Max Wolves inside. <laughs> we put the first 50 episodes on a disc, Steve, for a mere 15 pounds. That's 30p an episode. Hoping that some people might want to, you know, chuck some pennies our way, but that's not proved too popular. You can get all of our episodes, this is episode 50 summon, and you can get all of our back episodes for free on southlandhardcore.com, click, click episode guide, or click player, and you can get all of them for free, and only the last 20 are on iTunes, that's how it works, but you can get them all free, so go back and listen to them, you, you'll have a great time. On the website as well, uh, associated links and blogs and posts. Yeah, southlandhardcore.com, loads you know, of stuff. Enhanced material to uh, you know make your listening even more pleasurable. But people helping the show out, Steve, right? They don't want to put their hands in their pockets. That's fine, right? We have to accept that. Get a T-shirt if you want that. It benefits you more than it benefits us because we make very, very little money from it. But we'd love to see you walking around in one, maybe on top of Table Mountain, like uh, Bob Tall up there in his more the Keisha T-shirt. We should post that, shouldn't we, actually? We should post that. Yeah. What people can do, Steve, go to southlandhardcore.com and click the Amazon link, right? If you're going to buy something from Amazon anyway, and you are, because, yeah, they don't pay tax, and that is well annoying, but... <laughs> but we all... But you know what I mean, Steve? Yeah? Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I just... And uh... we'll get 5% for everything that, you, of pe- that people buy. Right? It don't sound like much, yeah, but if you're buying stuff anyway, that's the thing. Like, you know... It costs you nothing to do this. No, it costs you nothing. Maybe even just change your Amazon link, copy the one off our website, so it always takes you there. But if you click on our link... And then you go and buy like uh, a North Face gilet for £89. We'll get £4.50 for that. Also, if you are annoyed about the fact that Amazon don't pay tax, but you're still going to find yourself there anyway for whatever reason, you can only find it or whatever, this way, this is the redistribution of wealth in action. This is, is direct yeah. action. This is you saying, no, Amazon, you arts. can't have all this yeah. money. I want you to give 5% of what you're yeah. doing to two guys that are putting out a podcast for free. Yeah, I've, I called us the arts there, Steve. You didn't pull me up. <laughs> So if people spend £580, right? It sounds like a lot, Steve, but imagine people, that's a telly, a kettle, a couple of T-shirts, you know, a few CDs, Treacle Jr. on DVD, a couple of Champion DVDs. 
Muriel Sparks, Battle of the Peck, and Ryan. Exactly, right. It all adds up. This is all different people buying these things. If you're yeah. going to buy it anyway, email it to your friends as well. Copy the link of our website and say, you know, if you buy something, I'm get it from here. If people spend £580, will it, there be enough for both of us to go to Kew Gardens? What? So, and we're not going to we're not going to cover Kew Gardens until you do that. <laughs> so, if you want to make it, it happen, Kew Gardens for a gardens is well expensive, isn't it? 14, I've been fourteen fifty. It's, it's it's a lovely place, but it's not worth fifteen quid. It's just not. Well, if people pay the money, Steve well, will go there. I'm I'm basing this on uh, my last visit there, which is quite a while ago. Maybe it's changed since then. We won't know until yes, we go. We go. So I'd love to give you uh, a more up to date. Do you want to do a guns. give us your money in Irish? <laughs> <laughs> we had gold off in the shop the other week. I should have got him to. Uh... Oh, you should have done. Be happy to. I don't like Mondays. That's when Saffron Hardcore comes out. <laughs> <laughs> you lucky people. We've talked on the show in the past about the strong legacy in South London of leisure in general and theatre in particular. Um, we've mentioned about the the origins of that with the lawlessness of South London mirroring the uh, laws and regulations of the city across the river and the lack of regulation meaning that inns and taverns, theatres, you know, bear baiting pits uh, just all cropped up along Bankside um, and Lambeth, as I say, opposed to the city across the river. Um, Pleasure Gardens as well. Foxhall. Yeah. The major one, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, as I say, in previous episodes, in the, the Borough episode, we talked about um, the sort of theatrical legacy of South London. We've done an episode on Vauxhall where we talked about the pleasure gardens that were up there. And the, the idea of leisure being embedded into the very soil of South London, we covered recently on the South Bank episode where we talked about, you know, trying to repurpose things away from leisure. It seems there's almost this... this magnetic pull that's going to drag them back to being about places of, of pleasure and enjoyment and Music Hall is a great example of that, Music Hall being uh, a very specific kind of entertainment that sprouted up at the sort of end of the uh, 19th century uh, start of the 20th century um, yeah, I think it's important early on to just define it quite quickly and explain the differences yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll be using, I'll be talking about variety as well as musical, and I think there's a bit of confusion about what it is. Musical is essentially the earliest form of it, where you have people singing and telling jokes in pubs, essentially. And it evolves into a much more complicated version of that, where it becomes variety, where the bill is a variety of different acts. It is singers and magicians, musicians, comedians, uh, all playing in a single place on a single night, one after the other, you pay a single price to get in and get to see everyone. Um, the American equivalent being vaudeville, uh, which evolved around the same time. So music hall, the early version, that's the origins of what we're going to talk about first, that then evolves into variety, which is uh, the form that we're most familiar with because of the fact that it's recording television and radio. The music hall stars that start off the thing, there's very little radio or TV footage of them that exists. So musical comes out of a specific point in history. There's like a convergence of a few different factors. You've got uh, the sort of rise of uh, women's rights, where, you know, if you go back to uh, the time of the Globe, when Shakespeare is writing the plays, women aren't allowed on stage. Oh, like in that film Shakespeare in Love. Exactly. Like Gwyneth Paltrow has to dress up like a boy to then play Juliet. Remarkable. What? <laughs> um... But obviously at this point, you know, women appear on stage and, and go to the theatre, which is still quite a recent um, phenomenon. You know, theatre for so long was looked down upon as like the lowest form of the arts. Um, theatre, yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you've got this point where there's a greater demand in terms of the audience because everyone can go to the theatre. There's a greater range of performers because everyone's allowed to go on stage. Um, so suddenly... There's a, a, a greater scope for performance. The working classes, due to the rise of the sort of trade union movement and, and workers' rights, 
have leisure time. You know, they're not working 16, 18 hours a day. They've got evenings free. They sort of start at a reasonable time of day, finish at a reasonable time of day, and get a living wage as well. So suddenly you've got the rise of disposable income. You've got the fact that people have got the time and money to go out and spend it uh, enjoying themselves. They're not just, you know, working to live. And there's very few uh, other options available at this point as well. You know, we haven't got cinema, we haven't got television, you haven't got radio. Sport is the only other option, but that's quite restricted in terms of when and where it can happen. Mm. You know, based, you know, this isn't, we're not talking about a, a Sky Sports multimedia age when it's Monday night football. You've got midweek games. You've got yeah. you know, a plethora of cup competitions. Um, you've got, you know, uh, sport all around the world being broadcast on television. So you go to the, you know, sport would be very much on the weekend. During the week, if you wanted to go out, you had very few options. You go what to what year is this? What kind of decade? Uh, it's the sort of late 19th century. Sort of eight, 1850s, 1870s. So yeah, around the same time that, you know, football is becoming regulated and uh, emerging as a popular sport. They refer, Steve, to jazz as the uh, American art form, do they? They do. Uh, I read a quote the other day uh, that said, listed jazz, hip-hop... And high school, hip- high school shootings. <laughs> jazz, hip-hop, uh, jazz, hip-hop, American wrestling, and, and superhero comics. Oh, superhero comics, okay. As the four art forms that America has given the world. And you're claiming, and no, it's, it's a reasonable claim. Musical yeah, is the I'm art gonna, form. Yeah, I mean, obviously, that South uh, London gave the world. Is it? Yeah, I, I would say so. Um, if you look at and dubstep, and dubstep, and it's interesting because uh, both poles of South London, isn't it, from Croydon up to Lambeth. Yeah, so as I say, um, South London has, and this is important as well. The fact that there are inns and theatres in South London means that there are places where the form can uh, rise. You also get an important pivotal moment where there's a, a period in South London where you get the rise of the amphitheatre. This sort of... Uh, Do you? Yeah, this resurgence. We oh, talked about one it. Near, there was one around um, near Westminster Bridge, wasn't yeah. there? Yeah. Oh, oh, well, th- this is the thing. We, we talked about it briefly on the um, uh, Lambeth Trilogy episode where I referenced... I think it was actually Philip Astley who lived... Um, on the road that we went Never to. Never going to give you up. <laughs> it's got Rick Rolled. Is that right? <laughs> um, huh? Oh, that's Rick, Rick, Rick Ross. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Philip Astley um, was a former cavalryman in the army who was also performed as a horse leaper, which meant he did like... Uh, he used to jump over horses. <laughs> with horses. I've um, seen our house fly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he basically did... Uh, equestrian based trickery um, and as I said we were talking about it on the Lambert show because um, the best way to do horse related tricks is in a circle you you run in a circle oh, to allow yeah, the horse to yeah, yeah. build up momentum um, he did these, these tricks in a circle um, and you know he's credited with more or less inventing the modern circus ring with this this thing in 1769, he saves George III from a horse-related accident and oh, no. is gifted £200, which he uses to buy a plot of land. Oh, right. Which to... is funny, isn't it? Because if it have let him have the horse accident, he could have sent it into you from frame and got £200. <laughs> £250. Oh, he could have, well, he's not uh... thought it through, is he? <laughs> Super um... 8 camera, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's George III falling into a swimming pool, isn't it? <laughs> Onto a toddler. <laughs> Cut to the pool and there's just a wig, a powdered yeah. wig floating across the surface. Um, yeah, he buys a plot of land and opens Astley's Amphitheatre, um, which is on the location that for a while housed uh, County Hall Island and now is the Park Plaza Hotel. Oh, right. Yeah, so that particular spot was the site of the first modern circus. Wow. Yeah, he established a permanent place to, to do his his shows. Um, yeah, um, and it's important sort of transition because he goes from horseplay shows and starts to get clowns and other performers. One of his performers, 
um, a guy called Charles Hughes leaves uh, Astley's setup and establishes uh, his own theatre called the Surrey Theatre in Blackfriars Road. Um, and again, moves away from the horses in still has horses, but moves, starts to transition more into what we'd recognise as modern performance with singing and clowns and, and performance. Um, they both uh, fall in love with the emerging form of modern pantomime. And in uh, 1783, uh, the rivalry between these two establishments comes to a head and they both put on pantomimes at the same time, again, head to head. Oh. Neither of them got a license to perform pantomimes. You so didn't a license for it? They, you, you did at the time. So Astley and Hughes both end up in prison. <laughs> you go to prison for illegally putting on a pantomime. It, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Such We've different got, times. But, it, but this is the thing. It, it is a time when, you know, as I say, originally, the whole origins of the theatre in South London was that it was entirely unregulated. You didn't have the Lord Chamberlain checking your scripts. You didn't have people sort of worrying about, you know... Uh, could you house this many people and whatnot? Suddenly, regulation starts to creep in, and uh, these guys fall foul of it. So the, the pantomimes are quickly scrapped. But the true birth of musical that South London can lay claim to is in 1849, when Charles Morton takes over uh, a tavern called the Canterbury Arms in Lambeth, becomes known as the Canterbury. Um, it's got a room for singers. Where is it exactly? Um, it's uh, sort of, it would be sort of Westminster Bridge Road, that sort of area, sort of by, by Lambeth North. Oh, so it's gone now, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so he, when he takes over places, there's a room for singers, but he proves uh, very good in terms of booking acts and expands it beyond just singers, starts to build up um, singers adds in comedians, starts to get in speciality acts, uh, jugglers and uh, acrobats and whatnot, um, becomes such a success that by 1852 he needs a, a new, uh, larger room. So he builds it and it expands. By 1854, he's so successful, he needs a new musical, essentially. Extraordinary decision. We're used to, uh, you know, we've seen it, when we talked on the Die Channel episode about the ground moving. Yeah. Move next door. Mm. So they just built the ground next door on the land adjoining. You see it a lot with, with new buildings where they're built next to. Yeah. The, and a bit, bit more space to build on. He hasn't got that option because the land around him is taken up by other things. So he builds his new hall over the old one. <laughs> builds it around it and over it. The old hall stays open while this is happening. Mm. Uh, the show must go on the show must go on eventually the new hall is built and completed at which point they demolish the small hall inside over a weekend wow yeah and then by the next week it's uh, up and running by 1858 even with his new big hall he's built an ante room he's built a supper room he adds an art gallery to it he just mm. it's a you know a runaway success um, at its peak it's holding one and a half thousand people which is remarkable, really. And um, Morton becomes known as the father of the horse. You know, the idea of putting on a bill of different performers, charging a flat fee and letting people come in um, for the evening, then charging for drinks on top, becomes um, a staple. People all around London uh, start to copy him. Nearby, uh, you get Gatties, which is um, Westminster Bridge Road. Harry Lauder who is uh, a legend of early music hall, is a Scottish comedian, plays his first London gig there. Um, you get, in Camberwell, um, two uh, major music halls, the Metropole and the Camberwell Palace. Oh, the um, Camberwell Palace showed up in um, London, the modern Babylon, didn't it? That's right, yeah. Yeah, there's uh, footage from there. South London becomes such a hotbed of music hall. Um, Dan Leno, I'm sure you've... Come across name before. Well, he's got a blue plaque yeah. meters from Lakeisha's house, so or you know, mum's house. So yeah, Dan Leno, arguably the most famous uh, man in early music hall, uh, moves to Campbell mm. because it's such a perfect location. You know, if, you know, if you I imagine, road. yeah, yeah. If you imagine, you know, they're doing matinee shows in the afternoon and shows in the evening, 
if you're well located, you can open in one place, headline another in the afternoon, open in one place, headline another, and do four shows a day. You know, oh, yeah. yeah, you're rolling that. Um, uh, Dan Leno also becomes a fixture in the pantomimes at uh, Kennington Theatre as well for a long time. Um, you get the Empress in Brixton as well, which uh, looks gorgeous. It's gone now as well. Um, that becomes famous for Kate Carney um, and her performances there. She's born in Suffolk, so she's Kate like Carney. How do you spell Carney? C A R N E Y. Like a Carney, then. Very yeah yeah. It's never funny, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. What's the word? Oh, uh, nominative determinism. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's a really good point. That never occurred to me at all. Yeah. Uh, Kate Carney uh, is uh, become, is a Costa singer, which is essentially uh, somebody who sings Cockney songs. She's born in Suffolk. Oh, I am in a really eight fire. Like that kind of thing. <laughs> that's like, uh, exactly that sort of thing. The barriers at a Woolworth Road. <laughs> um, she goes on to become such a success in halls that she takes over uh, the Clapping Round. Is a musical and runs that for a while, and that brings us on to the idea of, of the stars being produced locally as well. You know, uh, you know, initially the halls open in South London, but it's relying on getting Harry Lauder and Dan Leno to come down and perform. But eventually, because it's close by, you're going to be inspired. And you know, we've talked about uh, a famous musical star born in South London on the show before, he got an episode to himself. Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. So we're not going to dwell on him too much no. here. I mean, we've done a whole episode on Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, you go back to And we covered his... Uh, was it 52, so roughly? I'm not sure. But I mean, if you go to southlondonhardcore.com, it's all there. And but I thought it'd be quite interesting to sort of have a look at South London-born musical stars and variety stars and try to put together a bill um, yeah. for an evening. I mean, if you've got some kind of uh, witch doctor to get these people off and running <laughs> some hoodoo and some voodoo just imaginative let's, let's just yeah let's use the magic of uh, you know the palace of writers is the human brain use your mind's eye but where possible I will be putting up uh, footage of these people performing so people can get an idea of yeah the sort of uh, things they would do unfortunately for our opener I can't find any footage but it's such a compelling story such a wonderful story um, we're going to open with Sid Plummer Born in Ballum in 1912. He's a xylophonist, which I'm not sure is a word. It's got to be, isn't it? Xylophone player. But let's say xylophonist because... Uh, mm. I like, like saxophonist, yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, uh, musicians, very popular. Percussionists, very popular. Sid Plummer goes above and beyond. He trains as an engineer, so he builds his own xylophone. Wow. You're saying wow. He tricked up the xylophone so that... It could emit smoke. Oh. Had uh, a mechanism. It was all lever-based. He basically plays xylophone every so often, pull a lever, and it would look like snakes were running across the xylophone. Um, there, he had a mechanism that made it look like the xylophone had collapsed, but it was all fine. It was all just uh, a mechanism, and he could make it fix itself again. Um, there are reports of, and this is where the fact that there's no footage available means you can probably embellish things. There's reports of he had a trick with ultraviolet light. And this is a quote that made it appear that figures were dancing across the xylophone. Mm. Which makes you think of like an early form hologram, but it can't be, can it? <laughs> Someone would have said so. Yeah. Um, possibly my favourite uh, trick he did with xylophone. Um, he would play a song called the Donkey Song. And as he played the xylophone, it would transform into a donkey. Wow. Donkey legs would appear. A donkey tail would appear. And with the final uh, knock on the xylophone, a donkey head would flip up at the end and the xylophone would be transformed into a donkey. This sounds remarkable. What's even better is the xylophone survives this day and was donated by Sid Plummer's son to the Hornman Museum. Oh, that's as a far as I know, it's us. not. Yeah, we've got to go to the Hornman yeah. Museum. I mean, we work with the big about music anyway. and instruments section. Absolutely. Of Hornman, yeah. isn't it? I mean, it's I've like... been to Hornman Museum. And I'm kicking myself for the fact that there's a donkey-based xylophone <laughs> I missed. I mean, I'm sure, you know, people listening have been to the Hornby Museum. How many people, you know, surely you'd come away from it going, I don't know what else is yeah. there. There's definitely a xylophone that turns into a donkey. He's our opener. I mean, that's the thing. This is, you know, this guy's bottom of the bill. So who's next? Next up. It's going to seem like um, a bit of favouritism on my part here, but hear me out. 
It's Peter Kavanagh, born in Annerley in 1914. Just, I thought we were just doing one place in South London. Quite <laughs> <laughs> <Like> Louis's mum. <laughs> <laughs> um, Peter Kavanagh was uh, an impressionist, known in, as his, in his time as the voice of them all. Oh, that's good, yeah. The problem is, even if there was footage available, we wouldn't know who he's doing the impression of. Apparently, <laughs> he'd close the show by doing Field Marshal Montgomery. <laughs> everyone who saw it spot on well they said physically he resembled him because mm-hmm. he didn't do wigs or makeup or anything, but physically he resembled him and got the voice spot on so, and everyone was like oh it's exactly but the thing is even if we saw it now yeah. you, uh, he also another trick he used to do was he'd um, appear with uh, famous musicians uh, famous singers and comedians and they'd sing comic songs doing alternate lines and apparently you just couldn't tell the difference. He just mimicked them perfectly. So, yeah, it sounds like um, he was uh, great. But he did have, I'm hoping to attract some footage, because he had a radio show. Um, which and it was one of those ones where, he, uh, and we'll, we'll come on to this later, where there's certain sort of uh, variety acts where you go, and you did that on the radio. And Impressions <laughs> is one of them where you go, I'm sure this is another guy, but it could no, also just be... No, work on the radio, because you'd never have him in the same room, would you? This is true, yeah. Well, Whereas, is... like, obviously a xylophone that turns into a donkey, less so. <laughs> well, and cleverly on his radio show, he would uh, famously sign off by saying, and it's good night from, and do goodbyes from everyone who's done the impression on the show in their voice. Mm. And then he'd sign off by saying, I'm Peter Kavanagh, the voice of them all. So, um, yeah, we'll have Peter Kavanagh as our uh, impressionist for the evening. Next up, this one you might be familiar with, I don't know. Um, Ray Allen, born in Greenwich in 1934. He's a ventriloquist. I'm not. Ray Allen and Lord Charles, does that ring a bell? No, I presume that's the uh, puppet. The puppet, yeah. If I told you that uh, Lord Charles' puppet is a tipsy toff, is that... I don't know who this this, is. This this guy, (laughs) he he, uh, performed until quite late on. They might have seen uh, footage. Um, But he was also around early enough to perform in uh, variety with Lauren Hardy. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. That's big news. Yeah. Um, And he uh, told, uh, or tells an amazing story where uh, he was on the road with Lauren Hardy and at the end of the show, Oliver Hardy came up to him and said, uh, myself and Sid would like to uh, keep a record of everyone we perform with. Would you sign our autograph book? Oh. Apparently, Lauren Hardy used to go around with an autograph book just to get oh, everywhere. Incredible. And everyone else was like, going, You want my autograph? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I can, I can do that. Sid? Sid Laurel. Stan Laurel. Stan Laurel. <laughs> right, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking of uh, Sid Plummer. I can't uh, get a donkey's eye on our Yeah, Ray Allen will definitely have find footage of. Uh, I remember him as a kid. He was great. His act is basically him. And, uh, yeah, this drunk uh, toff called Lord Charles who just says inappropriate things, of course, while uh, Ray Allen tries to calm him down. Next up on the bill, a name I think you will be familiar with, Max Wall. Max Wall's the name. (laughs) Born in Brixton in 1908. Um, A comedian, most famous for his actors, Professor Wolofsky. A lunatic pianist. Hmm. Have you seen any footage? Or... I was on the bus today. I was watching on YouTube. Yeah, he was like getting his arms ready to play the piano, like yeah. putting them out of his sleeve. He just kept doing it and then doing some weird stuff with his arm. Then he just started doing this ape just across the stage. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm, I'm familiar with Max Wall only because. Are you from, do you know you know the Office, Ricky Gervais? Oh yeah, and yeah. Uh, Steve Merchant. They did um, a corporate video for Microsoft. Oh, yeah. Like, at the time. And, like, one of the conditions was, this can't go public. Yeah, But yeah. then it got leaked, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And it's, like, partly great, because it's just Ricky Dre doing David Brent. He repeats some of the jokes from the show, and it's great, and there's a few new ones. And But he just keeps doing, he brushes his hair forward. Uh, oh, and yeah, he yeah. just keeps going, Max Wall's the name, and doing this Max Wall impression. The guy's just like, who is that? <laughs> so that's the only reason I've ever heard of him. But yeah, he pulls a lot of faces, doesn't he? Yeah. He's got some great walks, man. He's, he's... Well, it's interesting, like John Cleese. Yeah, Ministry of... Uh, the Ministry of Seawalks. Yeah. Yeah, and he's in Jabberwocky. Yeah, he is. Which I didn't, re- I mean, obviously didn't realise, but I quite and enjoyed And in uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang as well. Yeah. Yeah, he's one of the inventors in that. Yeah, he, it's an odd sort of uh, journey his career takes where he is this legend 
Bond. Well, I mean, he's born in 1908, isn't yeah. he? That's right. Yeah. Um, so he's a bit later than, like, maybe some of these people. Well, they're not the ones you've named, is he? <laughs> <laughs> but he, um, yeah, becomes a legend in uh, on the variety circuit. And then sort of drops off a little bit, sort of falls into obscurity and just ends up playing these quite sort of small clubs and small bookings. But then there is a revival when the Pythons sort of start to reference him as being an inspiration for the Ministry of City Walks. Um, and then, you know, he, he's, uh, Beckett, uh, who was a huge fan... Of Samuel Beckett. Samuel Beckett, yeah. Mm. Huge fan of uh, slapstick and physical comedy. And when you... Uh, read a lot of his pieces you can sort of see that when he in Waiting for Godot in the production of Waiting for Godot yeah he, and, and this is him Maxwell ends up performing in uh, Beckett Place uh-huh. and suddenly he's rediscovered and but also rediscovered in, an, in an, a new way where he's you know given a slightly different role he does things like uh, he goes on tour with Mop the Hoople to perform on stage he oh. appears on stage with Ian Dury and the Blockheads but he's he's never satisfied by it he's, he realises that Paying with Mott the Hoople is not enough for him. But he's, he's quoted as saying, all they want is the walk. They don't want him to perform, they just want him to go out and mm. just do his bit. You know, and, you know, referencing uh, Gervais, do Gervais the dance. doing the dance. Yeah, that, yeah. that's what they, that he, he becomes this one one note act, which is never what he wants to be, never what he expects to be. Uh, doing... I know people say to me, do the Doctor Who's house laugh. <laughs> and and it, it's interesting doing research for this show. I was reading uh, a book by Roy Hudd, who's a comedian and uh, Rod sort of, Hull, <laughs> and uh, sort of music hall uh, aficionado. And he he talks about, he's quite angry about Maxwell's treatment. He, his take on it is that the guy is ignored for a long time and then picked up again by what Roy Hudd describes as yuppies. He's like he just you know they they corrupt his talent. They just he mm. he feels like he's he's pulled away from the comedy that he was born to do and just turned into this this turn that's wheeled out to do uh, this one particular bit. But yeah, you know uh, a, a legendary figure. You a fan of his work? Yeah, no, I think he's great. I mean, it's interesting um, when I was putting this this girl, I was asking people. I was like, you know, giving them a few names, going, who who do you think? Is... You asking me what you going around old people's homes? <laughs> Asking do you remember? Uh, well, basically, I was I was sort of going throwing a few names again. Who do you know? Maxwell was the one, but it seems like it's almost like he's remembered now for the wrong reasons. He's remembered now for the later stuff and being referenced by other people rather than his own uh, original. Work. It's a shame, but I mean the fact that he's uh, such a legendary figure, um, you know, and the fact that Ricky Gervais when's he doing that video? It's like two thousand six. Uh, 2001, I okay. reckon. Okay, still, still pulling out a sort of Max Warren impressions. He, yeah, he was born in Brixton, Steve, yeah? Yeah. And I don't know if this was in Brixton, but you read about his his house getting bombed when he was a yeah, kid. Yeah, yeah. By a Zeppelin. <laughs> I didn't realise that Zeppelins came over London and blitzed it. First World War. Yeah, I yeah, didn't know that, man. Yeah. You just shoot him out of the sky. <laughs> Throw a rocket. And that's just so <laughs> slow. Right? You just get up a Throw ladder a... and just tip it in the other direction. <laughs> Throw a dart. Yeah. <laughs> Next up on the bill, we've gone... Uh, for Anne Shelton, born in Dulwich in 1923. She's a singer. During the Second World War, she becomes known as the Other Forces Sweetheart. Vera Lynn being essentially the uh, Forces we'll Sweetheart. But she's, yeah, uh, Anne Shelton is not quite popular, but it's still a, a huge, uh, huge name. So popular that she performs uh, with the Glenn Miller Band and is invited by Glenn Miller to join the band on a permanent basis. Uh, she declines, which is fortunate, because the next flight that Glenn Miller and his band get on is the one that, yeah, if she'd accepted the job, she'd have been on the plane with Glenn Miller. He died, did he? He did. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't make it. Um, so we're up to the point where planes have been invented. Right, OK. <laughs> it's not strictly chronological. <laughs> Although, uh, yeah, thank you. Um, she, yeah, but she performs with uh, Bing Crosby and becomes, um, yeah, very uh, popular. Peace on one. Earth. <laughs> Sir Percival lets me use the piano when he's not in town. <laughs> I just, uh, it's my favourite line in the whole bit. Yeah. It's just uh, so unnecessary, but great. <laughs> Next up, a more familiar name. And this was uh, my quandary. This was the other name I threw up to people uh, against Max Wall. Most people were up to Max Wall, but I've put this guy higher in the bill because I think in terms of pure variety, he's uh, a bigger name and more important. Tommy Trinder, born in Streatham in 1909. 
a comedian like Maxwell, but more of a patter comedian than a physical comedian. Maxwell very much about sort of performance, and as you say, gurning, a lot of physical physicality. Stuff, yeah, it? whereas like Rowan Atkinson, it? Yeah, absolutely. Whereas Trinder is very much what what was known as a, a front cloth comic. He, comic. He'd stand in front of the curtain and just get the microphone yeah. and just go. You know, what's the deal with horse and cars? <laughs> Uh, well, he did. He he uh, had catchphrases. Um, you lucky people. Being one yeah, of them. yeah. Now that survived, didn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. You lucky yeah. people. You lucky people. Is that the my thing? The right thing? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, he uh, became famous uh, for just a very canny man. It seems he he found out about this uh, these sort of advertising hoardings all around London. And uh, they were just dirt cheap. No one was advertising. So he just he got 20 of them all around London and um, put on them. If it's laughter you're after, Trinder's the name. Hmm. Great, isn't it? And suddenly... Like a he, soap, selling a soap or something. Yeah, this yeah. is it. Yeah, he brands himself. Um, yeah, becomes phenomenally successful. You know, defines a lot of what we just accept now as stand-up comedy. You know, interacting with the audience. Um What's your name? Where are you from? Yeah, well, this is the thing. He would he would uh, just yell at people. Uh, it, it started when when he was starting out. He'd be at the bottom of the bill. So as it started, so like he'd be on stage as people are coming in, and he would just barrack them as they got <laughs> to their uh, chairs. Um, his uh, favourite one was to uh, to shout. Uh, no need to check the the program. Uh, Trinder's the name again reinforcing uh, the branding as well uh, um, but as he moves up the bill and eventually uh, it just uh, you know would just people go to the toilet uh, he comes back and he's just yelling this is no time to you know, go out for uh, fish and chips just sort of like <laughs> constantly barracking people uh, um, becomes so famous he signed up to do uh, Ealing comedies oh right yeah well, um, what's he in well, this is the thing I, I think there's a possibility that we could do uh, a triple bill of uh, Tommy Trinder Ealing comedies as oh, a separate yeah. show. The one that I'd love to do, I can't find it anywhere. I might even have to buy it on DVD. It's called Champagne Charlie from 1944. It's Stanley Holloway and Tommy Trinder playing George Laban and Alfred Vance, who were musical stars. Oh, wow. From like, you know, 70 years beforehand. True story. Um, of the rivalry between these two musical singers, uh, George Laban and Alfred Vance. The film opens in the Elephant and Castle. Oh, right. Get you, yeah. yeah. You know what you should do, Steve? Go to southlondonhardcore.com, <laughs> click the Amazon link, and buy the DVD from there. Tommy Trinder's uh, character's brother is uh, auditioning as a, or trying out as a boxer. And uh, while they're waiting, Tommy Trinder entertains the people in the pub with a song. And gets invited to uh, become uh, a singer. There's clips of that available, so I'll certainly uh, put that up. Tommy Trinder uh, ends up living in Duquesne Court in Ballam. That's why I've read That's his name. why you've heard about yeah, it. Yeah, because of Duquesne Court. Yeah. Topping the bill, and this will be controversial, but it's mainly to sort of transition into the next phase uh, of the story. I've gone for Tommy Still. Jim Davidson. <laughs> uh, Tommy Still. Is Tommy he not Still. a music star, though. Well, this is the thing. This is the transitional period. So, you know, Tommy Steele, born in Bermondsey in 1936, breaks through in 1956 and starts his career playing variety bills. Oh, right. But the thing is, it's essentially the emergence of performers like Tommy Steele that, you know, helps to kill musical. It becomes a thing where promoters realise you can get you know, a crowd of thousands of people to see one person. So why I'll paying eight people. You know, you've got Steel becomes, you know, seen him uh, described as Britain's first teen pop sensation. I'm not too sure what the chronology is between him and Cliff Richard, but it's certainly around that time where you get you get the emergence of, of pop stars. You get the emergence of people who, you know, you can sell tickets to the show, sell records, sell merchandise. You know, these are things that haven't happened before. So suddenly, for promoters and managers and whatnot, it's just a lot easier, isn't it? Why are you going to put on a bill of eight different people and you're like, you know, I've got a juggler over here, where's he going to put these? I've got someone who's got a snake over here. Just get the guy with a guitar. We'll just have him and it will just be a lot easier. And this is, this is where music hall falls into decline. I mean, you know, there's other factors as well. 
you know, radio impacts somewhat because suddenly people have the option stay in, stay at home, and still enjoy it. But what sort of gives the halls a bit of a reprieve there is the fact that it had to the 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 radio stations weren't allowed to play a lot of recorded music; they had to play live music. So it was cheaper for them to send recording equipment to the halls rather than get a band in. They get, you know, obviously would get bands in as well um, and orchestras, but it would be as easy to sort of send recording equipment to the hall. So, you, you know, you still had live from, um, so you still had, you know, the halls being subsidised by the radio. Yeah, radio in its early years had this um, wonderful concept called needle time, which was the amount of time per day that you could play recorded uh, music. Um, and obviously did you hear that, this on Paul Gambaccini's? I did hear this on Paul Gambaccini's uh, <laughs> history of music on the radio. That's right. Yeah, but television uh, does for the halls essentially. Um, you know, as I say it's, it's a, a number of factors that the you know the cultural shift where single performers can draw a crowd, so you don't need to pay out other people. Television means. You know, you can broadcast to millions of people rather than hundreds or thousands of people in one go. So, um, cinema, you know, is as we talked earlier, when musical starts, there's no competition in terms of what to do with an evening. Mm. There's nowhere else to go. You go to the pub or you pay a little drink, go to a musical and enjoy uh, a song and some comedy. But suddenly, you know, you can go and watch uh, films. You can go and watch things from all around the world. You can go and see these, you know, spectacles moving on the screen in front of you, and that, uh, you know, is, is essentially the death knell for the halls. They try and transition into it. They try and adapt themselves. So, you know, halls start to do mixed bills where you have a couple of live performances, but you end on a film or you end on a short film. Mm-hmm. Um, they try and change the nature of the performance and you get the rise of girly shows where... two GSs. <laughs> yeah you get tracy morgan <laughs> um yeah no you, you you basically end up with uh you know inspire and this is the interesting thing where it, it's a sort of reversal of what we've been talking about rather than something starting south and spreading across london uh, a phenomenon from the centre of London, you know, Raymond's Review Bar and the Windmill in Soho, uh, pioneering the idea of the girly shows. Where oh, filth, yeah, yeah, essentially. But you know, at this burlesque. point, burlesque, but it's it's so uh, strictly regulated at this time. I mean, this is you know, again, the the polar opposite of where musical starts without regulation, without you know, licensing. Suddenly, you've got very strict rules about what these shows can be. So. You could feature nudity, but the women weren't allowed to move. That was the rule. So it was just a, it was a still uh, of uh, a naked woman. Um, so essentially, the show would be uh, the curtains are closed and it would open on a naked woman standing perfectly still, or the, the curtains open and there's a screen or you know feathers or whatnot, and they're pulled away to reveal a woman perfectly. And uh, obviously, as long as the woman doesn't move, you're fine. Um, but you know there are problems inherent in this in 1954 the Campbell Palace which started off as a musical and obviously featured the, 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 the likes of Dan Leno George Roby George Formby performed there is doing nothing but girly shows they come into a problem where um, one of their performers Peaches Page <laughs> is on stage uh, a mouse runs onto the stage oh she moves she moves they lose their licence immediately and they close down so wow. You can have mice, but just don't. <laughs> and you know, it's quite sad looking at the fate of the halls now. I mean, the is Canterbury it? it's just so broad, isn't it? Do As you know in... what I mean, the the level of entertainment. Like, I don't, it's not sad, is it, Steve? It's good. It's... I'm glad to see the back of music. <laughs> well, you got what you wish for. Um, the Canterbury's bombed. The site's cleared because obviously. Oh, I'm not glad that you got bombed. <laughs> it's just made that clear. Um, Ashley's. Uh... Oh, uh, yeah. Ashley's is repurposed to. Uh... Well, eventually goes on to become County Hall Island and is now uh, the Park Plaza Hotel. So next thing you're going past that on the bus, you know, remember it was once a circus. 
Uh, Gatties is bombed and closed and, and the land cleared. Um, the Metropole in Camberwell um, becomes a cinema, becomes an Odeon, then becomes an industrial laundrette called Dickie Dirts, which I remember as a kid. Sounds like a girly show. <laughs> um, and it's now a Nando's, of course. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, right. Um, uh, the Empress in Brixton becomes a cinema, then becomes a bingo hall, and is eventually demolished, and is now flats. So, it's a shame. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is... Uh, when did it die out, Steve? Early 60s? Yeah, 60s, actually. You know, as I say, the rise of... Colour television. Television and pop music, essentially, does for the halls. Yeah, I'll take that. If, can I have television yeah. and pop music? And you can have musical. <laughs> well, this thing is, uh, in a way, we we can have the best of both worlds, can't we? Because I would argue that musical and variety hasn't gone away. It's evolved. I mean, it's it's awful because for years, um, Gary Bushell in the sun. Figures, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Steve, can I just quickly interject here? Yeah. Um, you look a lot like Gary Bushell. And people <laughs> might not know that. Some people who are listening don't know what you look like. But you look exactly like him. <laughs> Carry on. You're like an ugly version uh, of Gary Bushell. That's you, that is. <laughs> um, yeah, Gary Bushell spent uh, years in the 90s uh, bemoaning the lack of a variety show on Saturday Night Television. And, and the amount of immigrants. <laughs> yeah, those two things. And... Um, yeah, he made this argument it was a, just an embarrassment and a shame. And people uh, wrote off his opinions yeah. because he's Gary Bush. And usually that's the right <laughs> thing to do. But then uh, eventually um, the BBC commissions Britain's Got Talent. And it becomes a phenomenon, ITV, yeah. doesn't it? Sorry, yeah, ITV, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and if you look at Saturday Night Television now, it's essentially variety. It's singing yeah. and dancing. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the extreme end, isn't it? Um, Britain's Got Talent. Because that is people like with a dog jumping through a hoop. Yeah, absolutely. And then like someone Speciality with a wig acts. on. Yeah, and uh, I mean that is appalling, isn't it? <laughs> and they basically, if somebody comes on and they're unattractive and they can sing very well, that makes at least one of them cry, in just <laughs> in the most patronising way possible. But yeah, I mean, are you including like X Factor and stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because I mean, that's just singing, isn't it? It is. The thing is, even with that, if you look at things like live music and live comedy it's nothing not nothing really changed but the the core of it is still what originated a musical you know before musical there was no stand-up yeah comedians where would you go to hear you know you'd have your fairs that you know you could go to and uh, see performances but as you know you you had a choice between legit theatre where you could see dramas and comedies in very uh, uh, prescribed and restricted ways or you wait for the fairs but suddenly you had this this rolling show and also the other important thing about musical was you had venues that were open up specifically for performance you also had uh, networks of venues that were put together so when you know suddenly pop music emerges and comedians have to leave musical you've got a network of clubs around the country for them to tour and that all came out of musical in, in the same way as the vaudeville circuit in america became the touring circuit for comedians and musicians afterwards so you know similarly before musical you know the idea of uh, a comedian from scotland traveling all around the country to perform and where would you go where would you go to see him where would you go to perform so as i say the legacy of musical does survive to this day you know it, when you see, um, you read about the performance of Tommy Trinder and you watch Harry Hill, it's, it doesn't seem that sort of distant. You know, I was thinking of Harry Hill, actually. when uh, uh, For me, Harry Hill was one of my top three stand-up comedians of yeah. all time. People just, they, like some people will realise how brilliant he is. Yeah. And other people probably haven't seen his stand-up and just see him on telly going, chips, and that's not <laughs> great. But um, his stand-up is phenomenal. He's yes, incredibly wonderful. talented. He's hilarious. I've seen him twice, um, and once in the Blue Elephant Theatre down um, Bethlehem Road in Campwell, and that was extraordinary. I mean, I was in pain afterwards in my stomach and throat. <laughs> but yeah, he had um, he had uh, what the, what was his band called? The Caterers. Yeah, yeah. And he had the his big kind of uh, 
Uh, it's like, I guess it's set up like a xylophone, but with uh, honk pipes yeah. or whatever they're called. Honk Sid pipes. <laughs> yeah, so he kind of, yeah, I can see what, I see what he's saying. And uh, if you look at uh, Reeves and Mortimer, the early years, you know, it very much evokes the spirit of musical. It's very much the idea and the style of it is is a homage to uh, musical writing. You've also got a resurgence more recently in the idea, you know, uh, as you say, uh, burlesque in terms of, you know, that's sort of, yeah, there's a, a, bit of that. a revival recently. But also it seems like the idea of variety uh, as a format is coming back. I mean, um, I didn't get a chance to see it this weekend, but um, a new group has formed in Camberwell called the Palace of Varieties, uh, performed at uh, a church hall in Camberwell over the weekend. Um, and for the looks of things, you know, it's very much, you go to the website, it's very much echoing the history of uh, music hall and writing here and talking about the venues that have been there and the performers that have lived and performed there. So, you know, very much echoing. And I, I went to uh, a show uh, a couple of weeks ago in Peckham at uh, the Last Refuge Theatre Space, which, again, had a real sort of variety musical feel to it, a real sort of, I mean, it was dressed up for a, a show uh, so it was deliberately sort of echoing that time. But it was nice to sort of go to a place and it was comedians and musicians and sketch performers uh, doing turns. And it is just a, still a thing where it's nice to go to a place, sit down, have a drink and just watch turns do a variety of different acts. Well, let's hear from some of them now, Steve. We're joined by Tom Crowley and Odin Hillmarson. Uh, the MCs of tonight's event. Um, would you like to tell us what is the lineup for tonight and what's going to be happening? We've got some lovely acts coming on tonight. We've got, uh, well, in part, a lot of our mates who do yeah. funny things that we've now given a home to. We've also got some wonderful acts who uh, I haven't gigged with before, but I've seen and they're very good. We've got Making Faces and we've got Caroline Hardy from Thomas Hardy, who's a very good uh, solo character performer now. Yeah. Uh, we've got him and me. Uh, I'm Tom, he's Odin. Uh, <laughs> comparing. <laughs> that's not part of the act. That's just one of a kind Exactly. That's just one of a kind gold, that was. But yeah, the whole point of the evening is to, we're going to, we put a load of lovely acts in, uh, including, oh, and our headliner, of course, Jay, Jay Foreman. Foreman. Yeah. who's a magnificent performer great reputable comedy musician and we're very very lucky to have him uh, we mainly have him because he went to our university before us but <laughs> that's how we know him that's very good uh, and all this uh, night is trying to do is to fundraise for a, a show that we're putting on here at the Last Re Refuge in Peckham uh, called Heartlines uh, put together pretty much entirely by uh, Catherine Timms who's uh, directing it uh, and she's written one of the six stories that are in uh, the show and it's um the show is basically six duologues, all cut, cut up and kind of in, interspersed for a whole hour, um, set to some music as well that uh, I've uh, written uh, alongside the rehearsals and I'm currently still writing. Uh, and it's going to be played live with a band, a small band. Um, and uh, basically it's, it's quite a passion project for Kat uh, to uh, launch uh, her company anywhere, anytime, or anytime, anywhere. It's hard to remember which which order. The important thing is, it's anytime, anywhere. Yeah, in either anytime, order. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. The flexibility is the key. That's exactly. Thing you don't have to put massive label on it. It is just anytime, anywhere, or anywhere at any time. It's, it's either or, forward slash or. That play is going to be on in this space as well, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yes, this exact space, uh, February 11th to the 16th. That's correct. Yes. Uh, when's the preview night? Are we, is that open for tickets? You know, or? that might be February 11th. I imagine. Yes, the 11th is the preview night within. Yeah, yeah which. Are, um, Yes, uh, all more information can be found on ticket prices and how to book on the Last Refuge website, yeah. which I believe is www.thelastrefuge.co.uk, or mm -hmm. if you search The Last Refuge Peckham, you can find it. Yeah. And it's Easily. also on Twitter and stuff, yeah, yeah. and Facebook, and there's loads yeah. of updates. Um, yeah, the company's called Anytime Anywhere Theatre. You there can also go. follow us on Facebook or Twitter and find um, out all the stuff you need to know about our upcoming productions, particularly Heartlines, uh, is the only one we've got planned at the moment. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, keep up with us, because we'll be doing loads of fun things like this in the future. Yeah. It's remarkable space, isn't it? That you've got. It's great. To play with. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Really? I mean, yeah. I even mean, walking in it tonight, I, I, you know, I tried to go through the courtyard, but yeah. it was, the gate was still locked. But it said there was a service entrance around the back, yeah. Copeland Road. So I wandered through there, got to the gate in Copeland Road, and there's this like you know vaguely interested security guard making sure no real bills <laughs> get in. Yeah. And I thought that's you know the fact there's any sort of it's security not welcoming. Guard. It's not welcoming. But then yeah. you realise it's an industrial estate. It is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's like forklift trucks and yeah. there's a lot of churches down here as well. A lot of churches. Lots of churches. A lot of raw meat and fish. Yeah, uh, yeah Everything you can ever want from and borough. 
South London. It's, it feels, uh, just walking down, it, it felt like South London writ small. Well, it's it, it was yeah. just yeah. Uh, it's fringy yeah. and with yeah. lots of storage and uh, fresh food. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a lot of very uh, evangelical churches very and, many of them. and a performance space. It's exactly. like almost yeah. a perfect South London high street. It really mm. is. It's, it's a good uh, kind of cross section of That's what right. you would expect. We've had the production blessed by several uh, branches. Right next door, you've got the Church of the Cherubim and the Seraphim. That's true. Oh, and they're they're either or, if you get either of those, you can't move from Yeah, we've got all the angels. There's a lot of air traffic going on in the area. We're joined now by two-thirds of Making Faces, a comedy sketch troupe. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell uh, the listeners what you're all about? I'm, I'm Dan. That's what I'm all about. <laughs> what about. What about you? Yeah, I'm Lizzie. We're a sketch and character comedy group, also blending songs. Um, and poems, which is the nice. probably the most disliked part of it in contemporary comedy. Of art, generally, I think. Yeah, <laughs> uh... but they're really, they're, really, they're really good. They're really funny, so that works you out. You do the good ones. That's no, the well, I, no, we don't do any of them, do no, we? No, <laughs> we can say that because Ed, Ed does it, so we, yeah. don't, we don't have to be modest about it. We'll praise, we'll praise him, although it's all <laughs> lies, really. Yeah. How yeah. long have you been going for? Well, it's nearly three years now, something okay. like that. Mm-hmm. We're all kind of doing stand-up and character stuff on, before and then met up and, yeah, started from there, really, yeah. And where are you based generally? We Don't give me home address. That <laughs> <laughs> we, we're in Deep South, we're in Woolwich. Oh, fantastic. Um, whereas Ed is in Wimbledon. Wimbledon. So, uh, Brilliant. It's a bit of a all South London. I wasn't yeah. expecting any. Yeah. I was, I was uh, sort of doing some, some digging around online today about the acts. Okay, And right, yeah. um, found one of the guys doing a bit of uh, stand-up on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And his first line was, uh, I'm from uh, Suffolk. But I thought you said Southwark, and I got so excited. Ah. And they started talking about his village, and I was like, "Ah, oh, this isn't That's Southwark, is it?" Southwark. You're probably the only person to say I got so excited at the word Southwark. <laughs> it's uh, uh, I also you, you you would have seen a glint in my eye when you said Woolwich as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We've done an episode on it already, so what we'll oh, have really? to do is go into the archive and drop this bit into yeah, it, and then uh, do yeah. it as the, the Redux. It's uh, a version. it's a strange place. We're not it's from there. It's not quite sure of it. Are, are, are you from London? <laughs> No, I'm uh, I'm South Bournemouth. Okay, and we're near Bournemouth Road, which was a nostalgic thing. Fantastic. And you're you're an Essex, Essex girl. Yeah. And Ed's, Ed's Reading. from Reading. Yeah. So we don't play favourites in South London hardcore. We like people that choose to live in South London. <laughs> yeah. Okay. More right. than the, the idea of being from because there's so many dreadful people from South London <laughs> who then move of out of South London and spend the whole time ripping South London. Yeah, what we yeah. like is people who are born outside of South London and go. South London's not terrible. Let's move there <laughs> and, and live come, there. And they come Let's build a life in South London. That you yeah. Can do. Absolutely. Yeah, Woolwich, uh, it's really nice. They've sort of done a lot of regeneration, haven't they, around yeah. the sort of centre of it. Massive Tesco's. Yeah. Big, biggest in Europe, in fact. Just Wonderful uh, toilets in the square as well. Yeah. Really mm. complicated uh, hand washing <laughs> system. Seriously. Just, uh, first time I went there, just blew me away. Just I couldn't un- understand about the hot air bit. So <laughs> okay, I pulled right, my hand yeah. out, then missed the hot air, and then put my hand back in and got more soap. Absolutely, the whole first wave of hand washing. It was. Uh... I've seen a guy look at one of those machines and then just go, nah, and then leave <laughs> the space, which was great. I'll just have, I'll have urine on my hands. That yeah, is preferable exactly. to me yeah. than because that's the thing when you put your hand in, you're like, this could be anything. Exactly, it's not going to be like a exactly. machine, but yeah, it was. Uh, could be a intimidating. P45 or yeah. So, uh, do you gig a lot around South London? Um, um, that's a good question. Yes, and. Also, other places. Yeah, <laughs> it's sort of all over. I mean, new nights are popping up down here, and uh, is this your first night at the the Bussy Boom? It, yeah, it is. It's the first mm. time down here, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Um, we've got uh, Tom, the organizer, his sketch group on at our night. We run in Shoreditch. Oh, fantastic! Um, and uh, uh, called Facelift, and he's coming up next uh, next month. And we're just about to start one in Croydon, so that ah, will become a more of a South London. It's at Matthews Yard. Um, which is kind of a, it's like a new arts venue really it's okay. a big old converted warehouse Whereabouts? amazing space um, what's the closest station can't remember now okay. <laughs> yeah anyway near the library good. I've got no idea oh, okay. and you went there once and it was for, to see the space <laughs> but yeah it's, uh, and you went yes it's, it's got a roof we'll have yeah it. <laughs> exactly well they've been um, they've done this uh, community funding project and it's raised a lot of money and so they've been able to um, reconstruct a theatre space within the Warehouse oh, with rigging and sound and everything is amazing. So yeah, we'll have to check it out. Um, yeah, that's that will be worth going to. So hopefully that will be a boost to South London as well. Yeah, and when's that going to be starting up? What's the March. what's the date? I'll, t- I'll look on my phone now. <laughs> live. Well, have you got um, a website so, yeah. that people can check out? Yeah. Yes. 
It's makeface.co.uk. Okay. And do you have Twitter accounts you'd like to yes. push? Everyone has, Ed, Ed does that, and I can't remember. If you're on the website, there's a link to the Twitter. Yeah. I'm going to guess at makeface. I think or it's making faces ha-ha. <laughs> something really lame like that. <laughs> what is this? Here it is. The I don't want to be booking stand-up tragedy. It's not yeah. ha-ha in their name. Exactly. It'd be fine. <laughs> I think it is, yeah. It's the 16th of March at Matthew's Yard. That's our first opening. Ah, oh, fantastic. So that's going to be really exciting. Yeah. We'll um, flag it up on our website. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for talking to us. Talking now to Toby Wilson. Hello. He's here in a capacity as punter. You're Hugh- a performer yourself, aren't you? But tonight you're not performing. Tonight I'm but a human man. <laughs> yeah. That is the role that you've been casting. Yeah. Um, I didn't, didn't have much choice in that one. <laughs> Fate. Fate don't, was don't the casting that. director in that one. Um, you don't live in South London? I do not. I live in East London. How did you make your way to South London this time? On the overground. How was that? Because we've heard there Pretty was good. trouble. With, oh, the trains were fine. Yeah, Maybe had to wait a few minutes. I mean, I'm later than I meant to be, but I love the Overground. The Overground is my favourite. It's wonderful, isn't it? It's uh, linked all of London together. It's gone all the way around. I can take my bike on it. Yeah. I can tweet. And like, you know, uh, when we were putting a podcast together, one or... God, I sound like a dickhead. (laughs) Oh, I just replayed all those things I said. (laughs) I can carry my bike. You're fine. Yeah, Um, God. When we were putting the show together, one of the potential titles for the show was sporadic tube, tube coverage. Yeah. Because of the fact that the tube only goes so far. So. But well, now it, with the overground, it goes about 10 metres. It goes yeah. to the, it, Brixton. Yeah. And it go, it's like the tube went, well, we've done our bit. <laughs> we've done our bit. We're Good off. luck, everyone. Yeah. Good luck. Um, but now with the overground, you can travel all around London. It's yeah, I love, really I, I love it. Free. It helps me get up to Wilsdon to see Tom. And it takes me... I, I sort of live... East-ish, and I cycle up to High and I leave my bike, get on the tube. Could bring my bike, chose not to. You got the option. Yeah, I've got the option. Do you find yourself travelling south too often? I sometimes. My yeah. friend, one of my friends, lives in Loughborough Junction. I, oh, okay. I cycle there. It's quite a nice I was cycle. Down by there today. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Cycle super highway goes there. Oh right, mm. see, which goes from from I mean, the city. They encourage everyone to go to South London, don't they? They're like, saying, yeah. come down and see us. They've just opened all the doors. <laughs> yeah, come but, in. Yeah. Have a look round. Like when a bird's in the house, you open all the windows <laughs> and just hope they'll go. Please get out of just go, Just get out of North London, uh, which That's is where, where I'm from originally. There you go. Um, yeah. um, have you ever performed in South London? Oh, surely. I must have done. <laughs> Mustn't I? You must have done. Uh, this is the interesting thing, oh isn't God. it? Not really. It's not, not the hotbed of, you know, it should be. Roy slips very north. Very north, yeah. Very not, north. I'm trying to think of places that it took ages to get to. Um, Clapham. Clapham's Clapham. A bit of a I feel like habit. I performed in Clapham. Yeah. I used to do a job, which was the worst job, where I used to have to try and get people to sign up for a charity uh, in the street. Yeah. So I used to travel to South London quite a lot doing that. Bit of Clappy J. <laughs> Went to Clappy J a lot. So the only time you came to South London regularly Went to Clapham was to the other day, annoy people. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, Thank, yeah, thanks yeah. for that. Yeah, that was my contribution to South London. You know that guy that you swerved around uh, in Clapham that time? Yeah. That was totally You know that earnest face that you hate? <laughs> that's me. That's me. And that £12 that's still going out of your account because of £12? his countless charm. Hey, big spender. <laughs> Woo! I just tick all the boxes. I'm like, yeah. that one is Go, well. go, go, make yeah. it stop. Take this out of my building society account. Yeah. <laughs> Suckers. <laughs> Do you have a Twitter account? Of course you do. Of course what? I do. What is the name of your I Twitter account? I live in account? East London. Of course <laughs> I have a Twitter account. You live on Earth. It's, uh, I live on, now, yeah. Um, I'm Toby Wilson 56. Toby with an I, T-O-B-I. Yeah. Wilson 56. Even with that, there were 55 hours we got in first. You no, I didn't, I didn't really realise what Twitter was when I signed up. Oh, okay. And Toby Wilson was gone. So you just went for the year of your birth, 1956. Yes, yes. <laughs> We're talking now to Catherine Timms, the founder of Anytime Anywhere Theatre. Um, would you like to tell us about the organisation? Um, hi. Uh, yes, so uh, like like you said, I am the founder of Anytime Anywhere Theatre, which is a company that I set up with the mind of creating theatre that can crop up anywhere. Um, that it doesn't matter what budget you have, what experience you have. If you want to create something, if you feel passionate enough about something, then you should be able to find like-minded people um, who have enough creative drive to do it. Um, so yeah, so basically I wanted to put on a um, celebration of new writing, um, 
Um, so I approached five of the writers um, and uh, asked them to create sort of uh, so ten minute duologues, which are sort of two two people plays, um, and we chose to do it around love and relationships. Um, and it ended up being entitled Heartlines. They all sort of intertwine, and uh, and yeah, they're, they're very different stories, but they all sort of speak to each other. It's all basically about how love is is as diverse as it is universal, um, and it's become this wonderful collaboration between writers, performers, um, myself, and uh, an amazing musician. Um, it's going to have live music throughout it. Um, music was such a big part of the writing process. They each had to like pick a song, um, and that's informed like the the tone and pace of each duologue as I've been directing it. Um, so yeah, it's just going to become this um, this really wonderful, fun evening celebrating the many faces of love um, and presenting some really really amazing talent at the same time fantastic yeah, it's interesting what you say about sort of the flexibility of performance um, myself and uh, Jack that I'm doing a show with went to a screening of uh, London and Modern Babylon the Julian Temple documentary I don't know if you've seen it but Julian Temple was there and it was hosted by um, a woman who was doing a Q&A and talking to him and uh, she uh, has a prominent position in the London Arts Day. I'm not going to name her because I can't remember mm-hmm. her name but I'm not going to say what she does but uh, at one point he was talking about wanting to screen the film all over London and he named Peckham as a place he said, you know, I, I like the idea of being able to show this film on the roof of a car park in Peckham. And uh, she laughed at the idea. And I was like, we were both really offended going, Peckham isn't a punchline. It's entirely yeah. valid to perform art in Peckham. There's this very sort of fixed idea that people have that certain places are arty places and certain places aren't arty. So you don't do it. You don't bring art to these places because it's not where art happens. It seems a, a self-fulfilling prophecy, doesn't it? Mm, absolutely. Well, I just remember because I was I was introduced to the space pretty. I've only been in London about four months, um, so it's been a very much sort of whistle stop tour of of theatres and stuff during that time. Um, but yeah, I just remember walking in and not been in London that long, walking into the bar area, seeing all these people laughing and drinking and talking about theatre, and being like, "This is why I came here. This, you know, little cultural haven in the heart of Peckham Rye is why I decided to up sticks from from the the parents' lovely house uh, and come here and try." <laughs> And try and make it in theatre it's, it's spaces like this and I think the fact they give you so much freedom like you know for, for companies just starting out like The Last Refuge is a godsend um, because you know they, they are so supportive um, and you just have a brilliant creative platform like the space is so flexible like we're going to turn it into this sort of lovely um, black box with, with clutter around the stage and with a, with a gorgeous balcony where a live band's going to be um, and it, yeah so you can just create anything you want really and you're not held back by having to you know meet the standards of you know a, a large you know a high profile theatre and so if you just do what you want you've got the freedom um so yeah i think that's amazing and i don't think you can find it in many places other than peck and rye so i'd say it is a it's a place for art yeah i suppose the flip side of it is because uh it's not a place where these things happen the rules aren't prescribed yeah it's not a case of this isn't you know you, you, if, if nothing happens you can do anything is uh yeah. and it seems like with this venue the, the range of performances they put on as well it is you know comedy and music and mm. dance anything that you can do in a space which is wonderful isn't it yeah absolutely I mean I've I just spent the last year in rural North Yorkshire making theatre happen in um, in a village hall um, and in a school and things like you know I quickly learned that if I wanted to make creative opportunities for myself then you need to it, it shouldn't be dependent on on location it shouldn't be dependent on how many seats are in a theatre or or how many lights you have and stuff you just take what you've got and create something lovely with it and and with people that want to create as well so so yeah, that's that's our mission statement, really. Now you've heard my inane jokes, I hope that you're satisfied. Tommy Trinder's the name, folks, it's on the bills outside. <laughs>